The views expressed on the Own It podcast are that of Gunnar Esiason and his guests, and not necessarily those of the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Nothing in the Own It podcast should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who is experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar Esiason, and his guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to the Own It podcast, presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Now, here's Gunnar Esiason. Hello, everyone. I'm Gunnar Esiason, and thanks for joining us for Episode 9 of the Own It Audio Podcast Series presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation and GunnarEsiason.com. This podcast, Feeling Great When You're Sick, has been made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Novartis to the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Today, you'll meet Kate Arian. She is 27 with cystic fibrosis and nearly five years post-double lung transplant. Kate and I met through a mutual friend that I knew in high school, and she is currently building a business called Manicare, and I want to get right into it because she's got a lot of really great things to say. But first, as a note, Kate and I are remaining compliant with the National Cystic Fibrosis Guidelines regarding patient interaction and cross-infection by conducting this podcast via Skype. So, Kate, thanks for coming on. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, thank you. Um, So, again, my name's Kate. I'm 27 years old. I'm from Mendham, New Jersey. I have two younger sisters, and um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I now have my company, Manicare, which Gunnar mentioned. Um, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when I was two and a half years old. Um, You know, I had the usual failure to thrive as a baby, and I was misdiagnosed with a few other issues, um, you know, allergies, lactose intolerance, things of that nature. Um... And, you know, I'm here today to tell you a little bit about my business and um, my history and my life post-transplant. All right, well, definitely thanks for joining us. Uh, you have a really successful story, so I want to jump into this uh, right away. Uh, but no, but first, I want to talk about uh, your growing up and your experience, uh, what it was like to, to, you know, to, be, uh, to be a child with cystic fibrosis before you got to college and then even when you did get to the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, so... Um, you know, it was it was definitely um, a challenge growing up with CF. My parents were very supportive and very involved, and that was such a blessing. Um, you know, I was able to to take things at my own pace um, growing up. You know, if I took a day off of school, my my teachers and my parents made it possible for me to catch up. Um, you know, I played sports when I was able to. Um, I had great friends, and they all understood my condition. So, you know, there were the usual hospitalizations and medical challenges as a kid, but, you know, I had a lot less responsibility at that point. Um, I felt that I was really taken care of by my parents and my doctors. Um, Obviously, going to college was an amazing experience because I got a terrific education and I got to meet so many different types of people. Um, And while my friends and professors there were also understanding, you know, it was it was really all on me to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, school was, you know, two hours away from where I grew up, so I wasn't seeing my family all the time. And you know, I did I did have um, housemates and other people like that. So you know, it was definitely a balancing act. Um, I was in a sorority. I took a full course load, and I just you know I still tried to get plenty of sleep, never miss a treatment, and. You know, it it definitely was hard. Um, Senior year of college, actually, was when my um, 
my health started deteriorating significantly. And, um, you know, after winter break, senior year, I was actually forced to go back to school with a pick line IV in my arm and, you know, walking around with a bandage on my arm and, and stopping throughout the day to administer um, IV medicine mm-hmm. was probably the biggest challenge I faced in college. Um, you know, it was balancing two very, very different worlds and realizing that my health always had to come first. Yeah, no, for sure. I can definitely uh, relate to a lot of that experience. You know, I think um, growing up, my, my, my parents, my family, and my friends were such a, ma- a major part of my support group growing up. Um, and my parents obviously took a lot of the responsibility, but as I got older, I definitely started to usurp some of that power and responsibility from them. And then once I got to college, it was really, as you said, it was all on me. Um, so I can definitely relate to you there. Um, and I actually had a very similar experience where, uh, by the time my senior year of college rolled around, I also, um, I developed pneumonia twice actually, uh, during oh my, my senior gosh. year. So it was uh, pretty brutal as well. Um, but we got through it, uh, just like I'm sure, uh, you were able to, and, uh, you know, that's kind of the beauty of college, you sort of learn to live uh, and be accountable for your actions and sort of, uh, you know, hold yourself uh, to a higher standard than a lot of the rest of your peers because you have uh, an expanded uh, sense of responsibility than, than a lot of the people. Uh, at least that's the way I felt uh, when I went to school. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it did make me a more responsible person overall, too. I mean, even translating that skill into schoolwork, you know, I was very, very accountable um, to myself. I wasn't really much of a procrastinator. And, um, you know, I knew that hard work was the way to do it. So, um, you know, I certainly wasn't perfect. But I think the college experience, um, you know, developed me a lot as a person. And when it was over, I was relieved it was over because I don't think I could have <laughs> could have done another year. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. I think I saw graduation uh, much as a as major major accomplishment in life, but I also saw it as sort of a finish line uh, in the sense that it was it was it was finally coming to an end, and I was going to be able to to sort of make it to the next step of life um, and, uh, and and get away from from the craziness of college for for a little while. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So now, uh, <laughs> so w- when did it become apparent that you actually needed a double lung transplant? So, um, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, senior year of college just was really, really rough on me medically. Um, I don't, you know, have complete medical answers as to why that happened, but um, my health just took a really dramatic decline in the fall of 2010. So I was hospitalized for lung infections over winter break. Um, you know, I, my doctors tried a bunch of different IV antibiotics mm-hmm. and my, you know, my lung function just kept slipping. Um, so I never really saw that boost that you usually get after an IV treatment. Um, so I went from, you know, somewhere like 60% lung function down to 17% wow. in, in less than a year. Um, you know, so I did make it through to graduation and I even had the optimism that I was going to start at a full-time job. Um, after graduation, I was going to be a consultant. So I got the job and I was, you know, all ready to go. And I realized about a month in that my health really just wasn't in a place to support this kind of work. So at that point, I had a real heart to heart with my doctors. They told me I was probably looking at, um, you know, end stage lung disease and looking towards a transplant is kind of my only and best option. So, um, you know, those words really hit me. It kind of it wasn't a possibility I had I had considered much, but um, you know, like I was used to, I prioritized my health. I um, unfortunately left the job, moved back home, and listed myself for a lung transplant. 
Um, I was listed at Columbia and also at Newark Beth Israel because I'm a New Jersey resident. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I was really, really lucky in a sense because I'm the universal uh, recipient blood type. And Mm -hmm. I waited for five days actually after listing at Newark. Um, I'd been, you know, previously listed at Columbia, but it just took five days in New Jersey and I got the call. Uh, That was on November 2nd of 2011. So a week from today, actually, will be my five-year transplant anniversary. Congratulations on that. That's really, it's quite an unbelievable story. You don't really hear um, a quick turnaround like that um, really ever. So that's, uh, that's really awesome. Now, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, it was obviously a huge surprise. Like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time contemplating um, a lung transplant. My health really went from, you know, pretty decent, thought I had a bunch more years of that type of health to, um, to you know, freaking out because I <laughs> just couldn't breathe without a ton of oxygen. Mm-hmm. So um, the good part about that is I didn't have a lot of time to worry and consider my options and read you know, read other accounts of people's experiences. Um, I just knew that, you know, I had to kind of charge head forward into this lung transplant ordeal. And um, again, I was lucky enough to have such great medical care and find a donor. Um, So, you know, it was it was pretty crazy to pause my life, um, especially right after college graduation, when, you know, a lot of exciting things were happening for my peers. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and I mean, also, I would say that the recovery was pretty difficult. Um, I was in the hospital for only 12 days, which is is pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah. But there are months of physical therapy and, you know, very frequent doctor visits at the other end of that transplant. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a difficult experience. Definitely, you know, not something I had planned for. So now, how is your health now? Uh Thank God it has it has really been great uh, since I had the surgery. So I, I don't want to jinx myself here, but um, no, there are no jinxes, so don't worry okay. about that. Okay. Well, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I do find my, that I need to sleep a lot and kind of, you know, take things slower maybe than I see other people doing. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, you know, I'm an avid exerciser. I'm, I feel like I'm living a really, really full. Um, you know, really full, fulfilling, and and happy life right now. And when I get to go to the doctor every four months, it, it feels like I'm missing something. Like, did I miss an appointment? You know, that's <laughs> kind of unheard of for me. So um, I'm I'm thankfully doing great. I'm actually planning my upcoming wedding oh, wow. um, right now. And it's, it's, you know, something that I almost didn't expect for myself. So I'm just thrilled. Well, we definitely wish you uh, all the best luck with that. Um, so we, we have a question here for you. Are you in touch with your with your donor's family? I know sometimes uh, the hospitals like to link uh, recipients to the donor family, and 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 if you are, um, what's that been like? It's it's totally crazy. It feels like a lifetime movie because um, I am I am in touch with my donor's family. My donor was um, an African American woman from New Jersey. She was um, about ten years older than me. And passed away after having some pretty basic nose surgery, from what I understand. It's, oh, wow. it's tragic. Um, but I did write her family a thank you letter uh, after my surgery when I was just kind of overwhelmed with gratitude. And I still am. And I got back a letter from them. Um, we met. 
you know, I got off the train in New Jersey because at that point I was already living in New York City and her father was waiting at the train station um, just crying when he saw me. And it was really, really just emotionally impactful. Um, the The relationship I have now is with my donor's father. Mm-hmm. And we see each other, um, I would say, about twice a year. He He loves talking about, you know, his daughter and her legacy. She mm-hmm. left behind... Uh, two children. So I've learned a lot about her too, which helps me be grateful to a particular person and, you know, honor the life that she lived. So that's been incredible. That's, that's totally unbelievable. So now what, uh, beyond that, what, what is uh, the support from your family and friends been like? Um, I, everyone has, has been really supportive throughout my life. And I think, you know, without that, maybe I would be in a different place, um, mentally or, or even physically. But, um, yeah, I've had terrific friends. My family, you know, is always looking out for me. And um, it's funny. I actually went back to my high school a few weeks ago to be in their alumni video, um, which already made me feel proud. But I got there and they said, come look at our bulletin board. And they had actually hung up uh, all the press that I had gotten for Manicare, my company. You know, it was just on the school bulletin board. I, you know, I graduated like nine years ago. (laughs) And, um, you know, the pride and support that, that they showed me was, um, you know, a kind of, it was exactly what I've experienced from almost everyone in my life. And it's wonderful. That's pretty cool. So now, why don't you tell us a little bit about Manicare? Um, when did you start it? And uh, what's the mission uh, behind it? Sure. So um, I had the idea for Manicare in 2011, right after I had my lung transplant. Manicare is a mobile beauty and nail service that caters to the medically sensitive, disabled, and homebound population. So, you know, there's there's a significant portion of people uh, like myself who are really unable to get out and access those usual beauty and maintenance routines that a lot of people take for granted. And while I was in the hospital and recovering, um, you know, I just, I didn't really feel like myself. And there's something really, you know, empowering and uplifting about having access to those usual routines and just, you know, kind of brightening yourself up with a manicure or pedicure or, you know, a new haircut, um, makeup application. So manicure visits homes, hospitals, um, you know, really hospice, wherever they're called. And we have a team of insured, licensed, and very well-trained technicians. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, that was my concept. And I, I believed that if there was someone like me who, you know, would have loved, loved, loved these services, there had mm-hmm. to be more people like that out there, especially, you know, in the New York area where I live. Um, you know, it's such a, a densely populated area. So uh, that was 2011. I knew I needed to get a little more experience before going ahead and launching a business, um, especially because I was, you know, financially on my own um, in that respect. If I wanted to go ahead and start a company, mm-hmm. so um, I did marketing work at L'Oreal to gain a beauty background. I did some marketing work at Verizon Wireless, and um, in 2014, I felt like I was, I was ready to, you know, truly launch the company at that point. So up until then, I had actually. I had put up the Manicare website earlier, mm-hmm. and I'd been receiving, um, you know, a lot of feedback and a lot of inquiries. So 
that was almost like a marketing test, you know, hearing people say, wow, when you're an active company, I would love to send my grandmother a pedicure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I knew the audience was there even more than before. So um, I did launch the company in 2014, mm -hmm. and the reception has been very, very positive. Um, in fact, a year after launching Manicare, I was able to leave behind uh, my full-time job and focus 100% on running this company. So uh, that was pretty incredible, and it's, it's just become my passion. Um, like I said, I you know, spend all of my time running Manicare, and right now we are in the tri-state area and also operating in Chicago. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now towards expanding the company because I know if there's a need here, uh, the need would exist in other cities. Too. Absolutely. Now, how can people uh, reach out to Medicare? How can they uh, sort of find your services? Uh, what, what can people to, do to, uh, to, to really receive uh, the services that you're providing? Uh, that's a great question. Thank you. So, um, you know, we do have a website, which is www.mani-care. So, of course, you know, ordering a manicure and pedicure for yourself or a loved one um, or another service is always a great way to support the company. And believe me, people appreciate these services as a gift. Um, and the other thing is I have started in a fundraising campaign recently, and we're actually looking for supporters to help Manicare expand to other cities, like I mentioned. So thus far, I've been fueling all the company growth, um, you know, with the company's own profits being reinvested, mm -hmm. um, as well as the money I make working at my jobs. And, you know, I, I'm looking for donations um, to really, you know, to really help Manicare grow in a major way. And our mission is, you know, believing that everyone deserves and look, you know, deserves to look and feel their best, no matter the circumstances. And really, there's some, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do for someone other than to make them smile. And I think it's, I mean, humbly, <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, a really beautiful mission. And I would just love to see it grow and to raise awareness for, for what we're offering. Well, it's definitely a very worthwhile idea and uh, and business. So I'll definitely be sure to to put all the uh, the pertinent information in the the podcast notes uh, at the bottom the bottom here. Um, but now, uh, more about you you here has has this has it been a fulfilling line of work for you? Uh, beyond fulfilling, I you know when you when you experience a near death situation and come back from that, um, I've heard there's you know a common theme of people really wanting to make something out of their experience and, you know, the extra time that they were given. And in that way, corporate jobs really weren't fulfilling me. Um, but I feel, you know, uniquely qualified to remedy this gap that I identified in the marketplace. Um, you know, I understand the need. I've been there. And I take a very active role in communicating with our clients. You know, I talk to each of them on the phone or in email and find out how we can make them feel better. Um, so, you know, working, working with Manicare is, is something I wake up every morning excited to do. Very cool. So now, um, again, Kate, thanks for jumping on, uh, this podcast with us. Um, this has definitely been uh, very enlightening for me. Uh, uh, very, very educational as well, too. Um, is there, is there anything else you want to, you want to tell to our listeners or anything you want to say about Manicare or is there any advice you may have for, 
for uh, for families listening or, or younger people with cystic fibrosis? Yeah, well, um, you know, firstly, I want to thank you and I want to thank the foundation for having me on this podcast and um, also just for being an inspiration. You know, before we met, I'd, I'd heard of you and I'd read your materials and, um, you know, you're great role models for the CF community. And, um, you know, beyond that, um, I would just really, really appreciate any support that was offered to me in, uh, in the Manicare journey. Again, you know, just um, just by learning more, spreading the word. Um, I'd like everyone, you know, in the country to have access to these services. And, um, you know, that's all on Manicare. But in terms of advice, I would, uh, I would say, you know, you, you really have, have no way to predict your future. Um, absolutely anything could happen. And I think I've seen that very personally, but a lot of that stuff is good. And it's great. You know, I never had plans to be a business owner. Um, I didn't. I didn't know where my adult life was going to take me, and I've been pleasantly surprised. So, you know, don't let worries drag you down. Obviously, you know there are a lot of things we can worry about, and it's important to take your health seriously. But there's also a lot of great things that are probably coming your way. Well, that's totally awesome, Kate. Again, thanks for jumping on. Uh, we're all in this together. And uh, we definitely hope uh, to hear some really great things from you in the future. Uh, but that's all the time we have for today. Uh, again, thanks for thanks for joining us for episode nine of the Own It Audio Podcast series presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation and GunnerEsiason.com. And if you want to see me podcast about something specifically, you can always send me a message on Facebook, or you can send me uh, an email at GunnersBlog at uh, This is Gunner Esiason signing off. You've been listening to Gunner Esiason's Own It Podcast. If you would like more information on cystic fibrosis or the Boomer Esiason Foundation, please visit our website at www.esiason.org.